Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Crooked Illness. If you are new here, my name is Paris Brinkevich, and I am the creator and host of the Crooked Illness podcast, where we get into all things health-related. The primary focus of the podcast within the umbrella of health-related topics is mental health and mindset. I began Crooked Illness as a way to motivate, inspire, empower, and educate people on these interesting topics. My background and passion for starting Crooked Illness stems from the field of psychology. After completing both my BA in psychology and MBA in healthcare administration, my passion for mental health only continued to grow. As a result of this, I decided to start Crooked Illness to bring more awareness, tips, and conversations to the table about these topics. I offer my perspective on the work I've done and how it inspired me to begin this podcast. Along with this perspective, I also speak about my personal experience with mental health and how I use those experiences to help educate, inspire, and motivate others. I really enjoy doing interviews and connecting with people who also love to discuss and learn more about mental health. If you would like to learn more, become a guest, or connect, feel free to reach out to me by shooting me a message on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or to my email of crookedillness at gmail.com. Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Crooked Illness. As you can see from today's title, Ending the Stigma Associated with Mental Illness, this is what we are going to be getting into today. This episode is all about the stigma that is often associated with mental illness. My guest today, Jay Schiffman, is going to join me in this conversation about stigma, what it is, what it means, and how to overcome it. Jay is a mental health and substance misuse and recovery speaker, coach, and advocate, and the host of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. He is 10 years in recovery and survived multiple suicide attempts and a drug overdose. As a result of these experiences, he has made it his mission to fight to end stigma by telling his recovery story and advocating for opportunities for others to do the same. So without further ado, welcome Jay to the podcast. That was expertly done. I, I do a lot of these and that was flawless. I'm, Thank I'm very you. impressed. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here today. Thank you. We had a great conversation. So let's just jump right in. So can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to become a coach? Yeah. So as you uh, related in my intro, I've lived through some stuff mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I, my goal with coaching, my goal with speaking besides ending the stigma is essentially, look, I went through this and I learned a lot along the way. I mean, you, you can't not, right. I mean, mm -hmm. it, 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 as horrible as all of it was, I am a completely different person today based on living through those experiences. Yeah. And I believe that a lot of them uh, taught me things that are valuable lessons that, that I can impart to other people. And I don't want anyone else to have to live through what I lived through to learn those valuable lessons, right? Mm -hmm. So if I can relate some of that to people through speaking, through these interviews, for, through coaching, uh, then, I've, then I've had my impact and it's all been worth something. Yeah. Awesome. Cause I know you shared your story with me and I thought that was really powerful. That's why I wanted you to come on here and talk about your business, what you do, how you coach people. And I really like the name Thank of you. your podcast, choose your struggle podcast. So yeah. can you get into a little bit about what does that, what does that mean to you? Choose your struggle. Definitely. So choose your struggle is my business. It's my hashtag. It's uh, as you said, it's my podcast. It was born about five years ago, the first time I spoke on stage. Now, 
I'm 10 years in recovery as of this mm -hmm. spring. So now a little bit longer. And wow. uh, for the first five years, I didn't tell people about this. I mean, like, like we're talking about today, that stigma is real mm -hmm. and I lived it. And, and uh, I was talking about it the other day and someone asked me a question that I rarely get asked. And, and that was, why were you quiet about it? And, and mm -hmm. like, basically the question was, did someone tell you shouldn't tell people? And, and the answer is no. I mean, nobody said, don't tell anyone about this, you know, live, live quietly. It was the internalized stigma. It was mm. the, the living in this society, the things that you pick up and you hear that you read about people who use drugs, people who struggle with substance misuse, mm -hmm. people who struggle with mental health. Now, you got to remember also that this was, uh, I struggled in the 90s and the 2000s and into the 2010s. So very different than where we are today, where people mm -hmm. are starting to open up about it. And I'm so glad that that's starting to change. Not that we don't have a long way to go, but mm -hmm. very different back then. And so for me, there wasn't that sort of experience where somebody said, don't talk about it. It was just completely internalized. Mm -hmm. And the first time I spoke about it, it took a lot to get me up on that stage. And what I finally sort of rallied around uh, was this idea that I hadn't been embracing this message to my own self that I had failed that, that mm. my struggles had, had meant that I had failed in some way. And in the reality was it's the opposite, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I was on so many chemicals every day when I was struggling with substances. I, as you said in my intro, I, I attempted suicide twice. I overdosed and I'm still here. Mm -hmm. That is a hell of a victory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So in that way, the struggle was that at the time, I didn't get to choose what was going on in my life. I was mm -hmm. a, a completely and totally given up to this struggle of being a person every day, avoiding withdrawal, just, just going through the, the everyday throes of addiction. And now, now I get to choose what I struggle for. And so that is this, it's, it's, mm -hmm. these, it's issues of substance misuse and mental health and preaching the fact that recovery is possible. Yeah, because that's huge. And it's the, I think the biggest point that you said is that we, you weren't able to choose your struggle because you were struggling at that time. You were dealing with the addiction. You were dealing with what you were going through. So you didn't really have the opportunity to even choose that's what right. your struggle was or really understand about that. And I think that's really important that you, the work that you're doing is helping people understand that and realize that and learn that. And especially when we're talking about stigma, that like you said, the stigma is real. It's real. It's there. And sometimes it's not always, it's different for everyone, right? So maybe someone might be uncomfortable or not want to share things that they've gone through or things related to mental health, substance misuse. But then we have that internal stigma, like you mentioned, where it's inside of us and we carry right. that shame that you mentioned that you're, you were going through recovery at the time. So I remember you told me you didn't, you didn't go out and tell everyone, right? Like I'm in recovery. This is what's going on. That's you right. told a few co close people because it was something that you were going through and you didn't want to, you know, broadcast that and tell everybody. But I think it's really important that you're doing that and you're speaking about it and you're getting the word out related to these struggles that people are going through, because I think it's helping other people see and look at you and say, okay, you know, if this guy can get on a stage and share his story and open up and talk about his things, then maybe I can open up to my mom, my dad, my sister, my boyfriend, somebody. Yep. And I think that is extremely important and very powerful. So, you know, if you could talk about 
How did you go about ending the stigma for yourself personally associated with mental health? That's a great question. And, and I love, you touched on something that, that I want to uh, just hit home. And that is, again, something that we don't, that I don't even talk about that much. And it's more than just me. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't about me. You know, mm-hmm. I love telling my story. I love talking about these issues because of the conversations it starts and because mm-hmm. of the doors it's open. So perfect example, somebody reached out to me earlier today about telling my story. And, and when they related to me the opportunity, I said, you know, that sounds amazing. I would love to do it. I can think of a couple people who would be a better fit for you. Would you mm-hmm. mind if I introduce you? And, and so it would be very easy for me to jump at every opportunity. But mm-hmm. again, this isn't about me. This yeah. is about making a real impact. And if I'm not the right fit, I, I don't want to take that up because who knows how many doors I may close inadvertently. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that just, you know, I appreciate you, 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 you hitting on that because it's so important. Mm-hmm. For me personally, though, um, you know, like I said, I, I, and like you, you laid out that I did see it as a mark of shame for, for a solid five years. Mm-hmm. And I told very few people, even people who were in my life before who knew that I was struggling. And then all of a sudden I disappeared for a year when I was, uh, you know, going away and getting it under control and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and they didn't really know what had happened. So five years into recovery, a buddy of mine who runs a, uh, an organization in Cincinnati, it's called Cincy Stories, where I'm, where I'm from, Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And they, they have these events. It's a storytelling event, which are just phenomenal. Oh, wow. And um, they invite influential or well-known people in, in the city to come up and tell their origin story or, or sort of how they came to be who they are today. Wow. And he came up to me. He's like, I'd love for you to be the sort of second, second um, closer on this thing, which is, it's a big deal. I mean, these yeah. are 150 people in the audience. Wow. And he knew, he knew my story. I was like, man, there's just no way in hell that's going to happen. You know, I was like, that's, that's not, there's no way. Uh, and he asked me again about a month later and I was like, no, there's, there's no way. He asked me a third time. And again, I was like, dude, you got to stop asking me. This is never going to happen. And then I went home. I just happened to be having dinner with my, with my parents that night. And uh, I, I walked into my dad's office. He was, he was at home. I still remember this scene perfectly. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there in his office reading the New York times And I was like, uh, we started talking, you know, and he's got the paper still in front of him as dads do. And, and he, uh, I mentioned that this thing was happening that, yeah, this buddy's trying to get me to do, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he lowers the paper and looks at me and was like, why would you not do it? And and I said, well, I'm, I'm afraid. I mean, you know, this is, there's a big stigma around this. And he looks at me and he goes, fear is never a good reason not to do something. And then just slowly lifts the paper back up again as if he didn't realize he just blew up my entire world. So uh, I'm just like (laughs) stunned, you know, after that. And here's the thing is that my parents were not like super open with my struggles either. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. even him saying, I think you could do some good with this story. It was more just a, look, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But if you're not doing it because you're afraid, you're wasting a beautiful opportunity. So Mm -hmm. that was the impetus behind finally telling it. And uh, then the result that night was really what kept the ball going because I came off stage, I walked over to, you know, the the side area where I, where I was sure that I was just going to be a pariah now. Mm -hmm. And the crush of people that came up to me, friends giving me hugs, people I didn't know who were like, I want to talk to you because my brother's struggling or whatever the case is. Uh, I was instantly invited to do another speaking opportunity literally two weeks later and the ball just kept rolling from there. So it made me, I I sort of lived this uh, thing that I teach, which is that 
all of this that you're afraid of, it 100% is happening in your head because uh, none of it's real. And for mm -hmm. me, that was 100% the case. None of it was real. I was so terrified of being shunned, of being a pariah after mm -hmm. I admitted, you know, what had happened to me and none of it happened. I mean, 0%. Wow. I think that's so, like the moment you just described where you were talking to your dad and he put the paper down, I was like, why wouldn't you do it? And how that just hit you. And you were like, okay, I'm going to do it. And right. I feel like sometimes that's really all it takes is someone pushing you, telling you and giving you that motivation. Cause I feel like if it's so internal, like if you're dealing with stigma and it's, and for years and years and years, and you've been telling yourself these stories of, I can't talk about it. I can't tell anyone. I can't do this. We kind of prevent ourselves from even being able to take those opportunities because we've already shut it down. You know, even because like you mentioned, that guy came to you three times and was like, hey, you want to do this? You're like, no, want to do yeah. it? No, want to do it? No, and don't ask me again. So I feel like it's because we already shut it down ourselves. And then the fact that you did that and the response that you got from that and people coming to you and saying, hey, you know, my brother's dealing with this and would you like to speak at this? It opened all those doors that you wouldn't even have had if you didn't do it. So, but it's hard. It really is when you talk about, cause it's also different for everyone, like with their own stigma, with what their own they're dealing with. And I think it's really important that, you know, people like you show your story and talk about your experience with that, because it helps people see that and connect with you and say, okay, well, you know, he did this. So maybe I can try to overcome mine. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I get a lot of those messages and that's, it makes all of this worth it when somebody mm -hmm. reaches out and was like, you know, I decided to, to do this or a perfect example is I, in my coaching, I, I get people who say, I heard you speak, you know, I want to work with you because of that. And so it does, it gives me uh, a little bit of that authority to say, you know, I'm not just up here talking, talking about this. I lived mm -hmm. it. And, yeah. and, and that's one of the lessons I try to coach on is that to, to what you were talking about earlier, there are a lot of those rules that we don't even realize that we live by that are built on nothing. Yeah. And, and just because we've told ourselves enough time, it's like, you know, it, it, it's like that, that, that old adage that if you tell a lie enough times, it becomes a truth. Mm -hmm. We live by a lot of those and we just never question them. And so one of the things that I work on with clients is let's get to recognizing some of those. Now, whether you want to challenge them and move past it, like I would encourage you to at the very least challenge it. Some mm -hmm. of them, I mean, maybe there are enough of a part of you that they're going to keep being a part of you. But yeah. other ones, when you start to realize that there's no basis to a lot of what mm -hmm. these rules are that you live by, it's easy to discard that and move past it. But wow. you can't get there without being uncomfortable for a little bit. Yeah, no, I think it's, that's so important because especially the part about being uncomfortable. And I feel like a lot of people don't like that feeling. Like, you know, when you're first starting to get over the stigma, get to open up, sometimes people have this reaction of, I don't like this. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to have to put myself in these situations where, you know, I'm talking about something that happened to me or I went through. And then what if, you know, there's all these what ifs of what if <clears throat> this doesn't work the way I want it to? What if this person exactly. doesn't, you know, want to be my friend or whatever? And there's always these scenarios that we create. And that yeah. goes with what you just said of these rules that we live by that we created that aren't even real, but we continue yep. to live by them because 
it's what we tell ourselves all the time on a daily basis. So I feel like breaking that and really getting over that comes with making yourself uncomfortable and doing things like what you did where you got on stage, you did that, you talked to those people and it was something that you didn't want to do, but you did it. So yeah. And, and, and growth happens when you're willing to push past the uncomfortable, but you know, it's, it's hard. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of us sort of live in those parameters that we create because it's easier to just sit there than it is to to challenge some of these things that we hold dear to us. Yeah. No, I mean, a hundred percent. I agree with that. So what, what advice would you give to somebody who is struggling to overcome a stigma that they have about mental health addiction or something like that? What would you tell that person who is struggling with that? Yeah. So I would say number one is be willing to challenge. Um, and let me give you a perfect example. Mm-hmm. This is something that I work, I'm, I'm literally coaching somebody on tomorrow. Wow. Um, the, for a long time, for as long as, as there has been treatment in, in sort of our society for issues mm-hmm. of substance misuse, the basis of that treatment has been the 12 step approach. And, and that is uh, you live a completely sober life and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with 12 step. It's helped millions of millions of people. But there are now more tried and true methods for a lot of these substances that mm-hmm. have not gotten a chance to, to be used to the extent they should for a lot of reasons. Politics comes into play and a whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. But a major reason is that if you ask the average person how you get into recovery, their answer is 12 step. It's mm-hmm. AA, it's NA, whatever the case is. So there are a lot of people who aren't even willing to try these other methods mm. because there is so much stigma against anything that isn't 12 step. Mm. Now, again, this isn't harping on 12 step. That's not the point of this. Mm-hmm. It's the point that, that the issue is thinking that there's only one way when in reality, there are a lot of ways that aren't being utilized because people get this left and right that you go into these AA rooms and they'll even say, Oh, you're not in recovery. If you're using, you know, whatever the case is, Suboxone Mm -hmm. or these, these uh, methods that are scientific in nature, or Mm -hmm. I've had people tell me literally this just happened last week. I gave a speech and someone called me afterwards and said, you know, your, your story is so amazing, but I got to tell you, she literally said this. I don't think you have it in you to stay in recovery long-term. Oh, wow. And I said, now why? I was like, that's super interesting. And I wasn't mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew what the answer was already coming. Cause I've heard yeah. this before. Yeah. And so I was like, that's really interesting. Tell me, tell me why. And she said, well, it just, you know, you can't stay in recovery without using 12 step. And I said, yeah, uh-huh. I'm going to be honest. I really hope you're wrong because I'm 10 years in and I don't have any plans to go back. And I also have no plans to use, you know, use 12 step because wow. I haven't before. So she wasn't trying to be offensive to me. Yeah, she just yeah. had that so ingrained in her mm-hmm. that it's the only way. And in reality, it's just a way that, that works for some people and doesn't work for others. So what I would, all of that is to say, be willing to challenge yourself mm-hmm. if there is no good reason for what you are thinking. And wow. now you may think there's a good reason, but then you have to step outside of your comfort zone. And we have this beautiful tool now. It's called the internet. You can pretty mm-hmm. much find answers to a lot of your questions, <laughs> but mm-hmm. yet people aren't willing to do that searching because they're just so sure of these mm-hmm. things that have been deeply ingrained in them. So be willing to challenge. Uh, that's number one. And number two is reach out. There is mm-hmm. always somebody there. And we have a saying that, that in this work that says that uh, we'd rather spend two hours talking to you today than two hours attending your funeral tomorrow. Yeah. So do not suffer in silence. 
whether you've tried this everything before and you're out of hope or you haven't tried anything and you have nowhere, you know, you have no Mm -hmm. idea where to turn. There is somebody there for you. Reach out. You'll find the right person. By the way, quick shout out. I am super active in the recovery scene on Reddit. Mm-hmm. Um, Reddit's not the greatest thing in the world, but <laughs> a lot of people reach out there because you can do it anonymously. You can mm-hmm. do it in a way that is very safe and very mm-hmm. quiet. And so uh, I, I would definitely advocate that, you know, be careful because there's some trolls out there and some really nasty people, yeah. but there are ways for you to reach out and do so in a very safe way without committing anything. And, and things like Reddit give you that opportunity. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I feel like what you said right there about challenging yourself and also reaching out to people is huge because like what you mentioned with, with the woman who told you, you can't stay in recovery because of 12 step, you're not doing 12 step. And I feel like that's very true is that a lot of these things that we see, you know, relating to treating addiction or getting recovery or getting help with that. It's, there's always, you know, a thing that we look to that's okay. You know, like 12 step that's okay. Or, or, Oh wait, you're going to try to get better by doing that. No, no. It's like, you got to do it this way. It has to be Mm -hmm. this way. And I feel like that's huge that you brought that up because there are so many other methods and ways and things that people have access to, like you mentioned the internet and things like that that are helpful and can help that person get the help they need in the way that they need it. Because like you said, not to talk badly about 12 step and all that it's done for so many people, but there are other options out yeah. there as well. So, well, and, and what's so, what's so sad is obviously this is not unique to the world of mental health and substance misuse, mm-hmm. but it's people who are, have painted themselves into a box and then are really afraid of, of challenging that because it would mean that whether they made a mistake or maybe they didn't have to do all that work. And, you know, I, again, 12 step is a great example of that, but mm-hmm. also I get, repeatedly comments on Facebook, on, on LinkedIn. I get emails from people who always with a PhD saying you have no right to be doing the work you do. (laughs) And it's, it's always the same thing. And again, at this point, I don't really let it bother me anymore because I know what their argument is. And that is that they've worked their entire life to have the knowledge. Uh, They are therapists and I don't have a PhD. So who am I to be? And essentially it's get out of my sandbox. And, And at the end of the day, what I say to these people, and, and no, none of them ever come around in my way of thinking, I don't really yeah. care, it's yeah. that we need all hands on deck here. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be, my clients, I'm not trying to be their therapist. In fact, mm-hmm. that's the first thing I tell them. It's also, I constantly remind them, I think you should also be seeing a therapist. Yeah. But let's be honest here, we're not batting a thousand. Every mm-hmm. year, 125 thousand Americans are dying over that to mm-hmm. substitute to just overdose and suicide, just those two. Wow. If that's the case, you have no right to tell me not to be doing this work. In fact, yeah. we could all be doing this work because we are failing miserably. Mm-hmm. No, a hundred percent. And I feel like that's, that's huge is because I, I, I get that perspective though. Like someone coming to you, you know, with this degree and with the training and with all that, and then they are offended or think you shouldn't be doing what you're doing because of the way that they that of the way that they think and the way that they've been doing things. And I feel like there's always, you know, you're always going to come in contact with people who are like that and have a view that it has to be this way. And it's very difficult to sometimes, you know, convince that person that there is other options, there is other avenues, there are other methods because they think that their way is the only way that's 
working, right. the only way that's been proven to work. And I also agree with what you said where, you know, you're not going to let that offend you because you already get, you understand the argument, you know, where they're coming from, you know, you know, maybe that person doesn't mean to offend you or mean to harm you. Maybe that, maybe they just, that's just the way that they think and the way that they've been doing things. And they wanted to express that to you. And I feel like it's, it's really good that you understand that. And you know that because, um, I would hate for you to not to, to stop doing the work that you're doing because of these messages that you are receiving or things that you're hearing, because like you said, you know, according to the statistics, there's a lot that is going wrong. There's a lot that, you know, we're, we're failing at. So, you know, we could use whoever we can to help and help in any way. So I think that's really important. So yeah, I mean, it definitely got to me early on when I first mm -hmm. started doing this work. But over time, I mean, when you have enough of the sort of built up goodwill and people who are receptive to what you're putting down, mm -hmm. it's easy to then move away from them and say, all right, you know, we, we've got something here. And mm -hmm. uh, I just dropped my my this week's version of my podcast and, and the, uh, the, the Choose Your Struggle podcast for everybody mm -hmm. listening. And I was interviewing a guy named Frederick Chicago, who is like me, lived experience, is a speaker, a coach, all that kind of stuff. And he gets this a lot too. And so we were commiserating on, mm -hmm. on how we, you know, deal with this. And he, he was talking about how uh, he went to a, a conference and was speaking. And afterwards, someone came up to him and said, that was all well and good. But, you know, I didn't really take that much from you because you don't have a degree. And wow. he said to her, like, and I love this. Uh, well, did you live through, you know, what I went through? And she said, no. And he's like, well, then I'm not going to take that much from you because you didn't live, you don't, yeah. you don't have the degree that I care about. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, that's the life experience degree. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that a lot of us are pushing for, you know, you go to these, uh, these events and these conferences and these Ted talks, Ted is the, the worst with this and <laughs> their entire panel is researchers. And don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. Thank you for your work. We need mm -hmm. more people doing that. But if every single person on your list is, is someone who's done research and mm -hmm. doesn't have lived experience, mm. there's something wrong there because you can research this thing for 50, 60, 70 years. You're never going to know what it feels like to spend your mornings wrapped around a toilet going through withdrawal. Mm. And thank God that you don't have that experience. Yeah. But also you need me up on that table because I can be relating to people in a way that you can't. So mm. we both need to be coming to this thing. And when you're slamming the door in my face, it's only doing yourself and your audience a disarm. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that is so true because of the experience that you've had, the things that you've lived through and dealt with, you know, from your perspective, what that's like. So I feel like that's a lot, that's very valuable to someone who is trying to recover, trying to learn about this, or even somebody who just wants to learn about addiction, who wants to learn more, who wants to understand it better. And I agree, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible to have people who've dedicated their time and energy to doing research and things like that. But you, but you also need people who have been there, who've lived through that, who've, you know, had days where they're going through withdrawals, struggling, all the things that come with that. And that experience, that real life experience of living through that is so valuable and necessary and important. And I just think it's, it's great. You know, the work that you, that you're doing with your clients, with your podcast, all of that, and getting that message out there, getting that across and communicating that in a way that can reach people and have them 
take something away from that and really, you know, resonate with them and be helpful to them. So. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate yeah. that. No, a hundred percent. Cause it's, it's true. And I'll get, I, I'll go on a rant, <laughs> um, but I don't want to go on a rant right now. So I'd rather hear from you. So can you tell me, you know, just tell us where, where can people learn more about you and the work that you are doing? Definitely. So you can find me, my podcast, the Choose Your Struggle podcast, wherever it's on all the platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and my website is jshiffman.com, which is J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N.com. Search for Jay Shiffman on LinkedIn for Choose Your Struggle, which is again, my brand on Twitter and uh, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Instagram, I'm, I'm the next Shiffman if you want to find me. Uh, I think I mostly I post pictures of my dog. So yeah, go find me on <laughs> Instagram because she's adorable. Yeah, yes. On Instagram and listen to check out his podcast. It's amazing. The work that you're doing, the website. I remember when I first connected with you, I clicked on your website and I was like, wow. I was like, <laughs> he has it together. I was like, wow. I was like, look at this. I was like, everything was presented so, like so easily to understand you, your message, what you do, the work that you've done. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, thank you. I was that, like, we're going to do, we're going to do an episode because <laughs> I, I, I do want to say, I mean, thank you. And I've worked yeah. really hard to cultivate yeah. that image, but uh, I mean, I hired people to make my website look good. Yeah. It, 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 you know, I've been doing this on the side now for five years and, and sort of full time for a year and a half. And it's, I'm really lucky that I love it. Uh, mm-hmm. because you know none of us are getting rich doing this work and it's it's hard at times and and there are nights where it's it's tough going to bed after working with a client that's really struggling and yeah you know but it but it, it makes it all worth it when you see that that victory for them and when when people you know I, I'll give a speech and someone will reach out like I said earlier and say god I really want to you know connect you with my brother or this mm-hmm. was my sometimes they just want to you know talk because they know yeah. you understand and, and those are the moments that this is this is really worth it Yeah. Well, I mean, I can clearly see just through talking to you and having this conversation (laughs) that you are so passionate and you love what you do. You love what you do. You enjoy it. And that comes through and it shows. And I feel like that's how you're able to connect with people and really form that relationship and be such, such a big help to them. Because like this episode is all about the stigma is there and, but it's possible to overcome that. And you have clearly done that. And, you know, your work is evidence of that and, you know, being able to relate that to others and just, just spread that message of, you know, stigma is real. It's there. And, you know, I don't know when it's ever going to be a hundred percent gone from this world. I don't, you know, no one knows, but what we can do is we can work together to overcome that, to get, to get the message out there, to, to speak more about mental health, mental illness, substance abuse, and all of those things to really help people, help them feel comfortable, help them feel like they can recover, help them feel like they can be happy. So. Yeah. So let me drop a couple of tips on your listeners. Cause this yes. is, these are, these are the little things that we can do every day. Mm-hmm. So number one, if you're a guy, this is, this is directly to guys and mm-hmm. I've got tips for everybody in a second, but just for guys, there was a study that was released in psychology today in, I don't know, January, or February, sometime before COVID, which could have been 10 years ago at this point. We, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. But uh, th- this study found that in, in their sample of, of male relationships, 95% of the conversations revolved around three topics. Paris, do you want to try to guess those three topics? 
Mm, okay. Sex, money, and food. You're very close. So <laughs> they didn't put sex, but it was women. Women yeah. were number one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sports was number two. Okay. And media. So movies and music were number three. And, oh, and okay. video games were, were in that. Yeah. 95% of all conversations between the closest male friends were those three topics. And wow. they gave these examples where like one dude was like, I've been homeless for a year now and my best friends don't know. You wow. know, one of them was, I got divorced two years ago and my best friends have no idea. And it's because men, we don't feel comfortable opening up, right? Mm -hmm. So when I read that, I, I remember this, I was sitting in a coffee shop again, pre-COVID, I missed that. <laughs> and I read that and I just like, it just hit me. And so I just sat there for a minute, like digesting that. I started thinking about my own closest relationships and I've been married for a year and a half now. So, you know, my groomsmen and all that kind of stuff were the first guys that came to my mind. And I started realizing that that is so true with my wow. closest friends. You know, uh, at the time my wife and I were going through a rough patch and I, I mean, we're over it, we're fine, but none yeah. of my friends knew that, you know, they didn't know that I was hating living down here in South Carolina. And so what I did was I reached out to all of them individually. I started sending all of them texts and I said, here's what I just read. I'm instituting a new rule. Mm -hmm. We can talk about those topics and don't get me wrong. I love talking about those topics, but we also then have to talk about something else. Mm -hmm. So it has created closeness with these relationships that I never had before. Two of wow. the guys are my best friends since I was one of them. I was six years old. The other one, I was 12. Aww. And we had never talked about these deeper issues. And now we do all the time. And it's because you have to make a conscious change. So my call mm. to guys who are listening to this is break that cycle. I'm not mm. telling you, you can't talk about sports, women and, and media. And, and as you said, food is also a big one. And, <laughs> you know, all these other topics that we all care about. I'm mm -hmm. not saying you can't do that, but I'm also saying mix it up and tell them how you are as a person, how you're feeling. As I like to say, tell your, your friends, you know, what you're struggling for and, and how you're struggling. Currently. Yeah. Those are so important. And if we can minimize and if we can return uh, or turn away from this idea that struggle, uh, that, that, that failure is in some way a bad thing, mm -hmm. we can start to make change and start to break down this wall of stigma that we've built. Because if you're okay to struggle, if you're okay to fail, then reaching out to get help is nothing. Wow. And, and we're yeah. just not there yet. So that's the, that's the key for everybody. You know, mm -hmm. for men, it's those particular topics. But next time you see somebody you love, it could be calling them right now, mm -hmm. ask them how they are and don't take that BS. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah. As an answer. You know what yeah. I mean? Cause if, if you walked up to someone that you care about, and again, don't get too close to COVID, but if you walked <laughs> up to someone and said, how are you? And they said anything other than fine, you would be caught because you're already ready to respond when they ask you how you are, because mm -hmm. that's just our greeting. Yeah. So try to break through that. Have a real conversation about things going on in your life, even if they're uncomfortable. Because if they if this person actually matters to you, you don't want to get to a point where you realize you know nothing about them. Wow. No, that's that is so true. Just just in everyday interactions, like if you see somebody that you're close with that you know, we always do this like, hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Okay. Get into what we're going to say. And I right. feel like sometimes we just bulldoze over that. Like, Oh, how are you? And so someone could say I'm terrible. I'm one time I actually did that as an experiment. I remember I, I literally did that. I had, uh, one of my friends was talking to me and then she was like, how are you? And I was like, I'm actually t just bad, really bad. And she goes, Oh, okay. And then, and the next thing. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, 
I was like, what? I was like, cause, cause I think it's, it's a lot of the times is people sometimes don't know what to say. You know, yeah. if someone says, Oh, I'm not good. Or this is going on. We're like, Oh, that sucks. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, you know, let's talk about people always want to sh- let's, let's change it to something, you know, good, happy. Yeah. Let's not talk about that. But I think it's so important if you love someone, if you care for someone, if you have a, someone you're close to, or even someone you don't know, if you see that someone is clearly not doing well, they're struggling, something's going on, talk to them, Get, yeah. you know, let, let them, if, if they're not comfortable talking to you, you know, try to see what you can do to help them in some kind of a way, because I think yeah. it's, it's huge. We have a saying down here in the South uh, uh, that is bless your heart, which I'm sure everybody yeah. has heard, which down here means it can mean everything from F you to let's, we're not going to talk about that <laughs> to, oh, sweet, don't, no, 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 no. That's uncomfortable, you know? And I get it a lot and I hate it. I, yeah. I hate this because yeah. they're always on the topics that I care about. They're always mm-hmm. about mental health, substance misuse. You brought up sex earlier and mm-hmm. it, we're, I thought we were over this. This was yeah. such a 90s thing. Oh, if we talk about sex, kids are going to have sex. No, they're going to want to have sex anyways. Yeah. If we don't talk about it, then they have bad practices. Oh, the, yeah. The bad part is that still exists in a lot of places. And mm-hmm. with around drug use, that is still the name of the game. There's this idea that if you tell kids about drug use, they're all going to want to use drugs. Mm-hmm. No, they're all going to want to use drugs anyways. We need to <laughs> teach them how to do so safely, mm-hmm. and then we can stop having all these bad effects. Yeah. Yeah, no, really just, just to have those conversations with people and get that out there because I agree with you a hundred percent. Like when we talk about things that seem, they don't, they're not painted in a good way. So if we're talking about something, you know, drug use, sex, whatever it is that people have this thing where they don't feel like they want to hear about it. They don't want to talk about it. But I feel like if we, if we have these conversations and we start to do that more, and open those doors for people to learn more. It just, it creates a lot of things that are helpful to those people and and to even ourselves, just really getting that out there and having that talk and sharing our experience and doing that in hopes that maybe something that we say is going to help somebody else in some kind of a way. So yeah. And and I have a, so right on that, I have a saying on my podcast, which is empathy begets empathy and vulnerability begets vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to talk to someone and they're not really feeling it, Mm -hmm. the way to open that door is by being vulnerable yourself because we as humans, it's in us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you see somebody crying, your first thought is, Oh my God, I want to help them. Like, it's not even a conscious thing. You don't decide to do it. You just Mm -hmm. see, you have this feeling in you, this need to help them in some way. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is closed off and you, know they're struggling and they're just not saying anything to you tell them start telling them like man you know i'm really struggling with this or or whatever the case is and that opens that door because it shows them oh oh we can talk about this you're you're gonna listen to me and that person will reciprocate no that is very true is you you know when we show vulnerability to somebody in that way that will not always 100 percent make them feel like they can do the same back, but it opens that door for them to, to really see, okay, you know, I'm talking to a real person. I'm talking to someone who has real feelings and has felt something because I feel like sometimes we can be, we can be so closed off and almost seem like we're cold, even though we're not trying to do that all the time, it can come off that way. So I feel like if we're, the, the more we get 
comfortable with being vulnerable, the more we are able to have better relationships. Like you mentioned with your best friends, you know, that you guys now talk about these things that you didn't talk about before. You're able to connect on a deeper level with them and show them like, Hey, you know, this is what happened to me. This is what I went through. This is, and then maybe they can turn around and say, wow, like I had no idea. I didn't know that I didn't. And then they'll open up to you. And then it forms that connection where maybe that person never told anybody that maybe that person never even had plans of talking about that. And now they did. So, and that happened. And I'm really lucky that I'm just wired in that way. I hate small talk. I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) And, and down here in the South, like that's entire relationships exist on small talk. I can't stand it. So I will be in situations (laughs) where I just like, I'm over it. You know, I snap and I'm like, I am done. So, and I'll just launch into a topic that actually matters to me. Yeah. Sometimes people are just like, okay, and they're, they're, they're gone. And other times people are like, oh, oh, are we doing this? And yeah. so like, I was at a networking event again, pre-COVID, and I'm standing at the bar talking to a bunch of people, and I'm just fucking tired of this small talk. I can't take <laughs> it anymore. Yeah. And I launch into my recovery story because I'm like, I'm bored as hell. I'm going to tell this. Yeah. And uh, a couple of people are just like, okay, and they leave. They just walk yeah. away. Yeah. But other people gravitate over. And to your point, this one woman goes, wow, let me tell you mine and goes into it. And at the end, she's bawling. There's like eight of us standing there. And she wow. goes, I've never told anyone that story wow. before. And we're all having this conversation because I just couldn't take the small talk yeah. anymore. No, I love, I love that because I'm the same way. I feel like that's, I feel like I've always been like that right. Sometimes people think I overshare right? Because I say, I, you know, I say what's on my mind. I say what's going on and things like that. And sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. Like yeah. they're like, no, like this person, no, her, no. And then other people will hear that and say, wow, you know, I have something that I can share as well. That's similar. And then we have this thing and then yeah. it, it's a connection and it's, it's, it's great. I mean, yeah. I love, I love that about people who can actually do that and come out and say these things that, make them vulnerable. I think it's great. And I think it's beautiful. And I think that's, it's, it's, it's great really. So, yeah, you know, and I think with social media, it's made it very easy to, you know, I, I hate the term overshare because it's like by whose definition, but yeah. like one thing that I love is if I'm on like a long, you know, if I post something that's very vulnerable or especially mm-hmm. on Twitter where it's like, I'm going to, because it's Twitter, but why hold back about anything? Yeah. When, when I see that I've lost a lot of followers, I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I did something right today. You know what yeah, I mean? Because like, yeah. if you're not with it, if you don't, if you're not down with that, you're going to go away. And that's fine. If if I, if you're not down for this journey, I'm, I'm okay with that. I feel it. Yeah. But when I see that a bunch of people have flocked away, it's like, all right, I, I, I definitely went beyond their comfort zone today and I'm, I'm okay with that. Wow. Well, that's, that's true. That is true. Well, this, this was a great episode and you guys need to check him out. Choose your struggle podcast. And I will link his information in the description of this episode. And thank you so much for making the time to come on, have this conversation. I really enjoyed talking with you. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun and uh, I love what you're doing. Keep it up. And yes, your listeners, please reach out. If you're struggling, reach out to me, reach out to Paris already. I I know you're a person who will be there if somebody needs it. Mm -hmm. Don't suffer in silence. Do not suffer in silence. Reach out. Somebody will be there. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I love that. All right. Okay. Bye, Jay. 
All right, guys, that is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I enjoyed creating it. As always, if you guys would like to get in touch with me to talk about becoming a guest or to share your thoughts on this episode with me, you can do that in a number of ways. You can shoot me an email to crookedillness at gmail.com. You can send me a DM on Instagram at crookedillness, or you can message me on my Facebook page at crookedillness as well. I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your day and thank you so much for listening to Crooked Illness.